Create an Unstoppable Life, episode 179. Create an Unstoppable Life is all about mindset for the high achiever to help you build a life of fulfillment and freedom. I'm your host, Dina George, MD, a mindset and marketing coach and a family medicine physician. It's an honor to spend time with you today. Hey, you're back. Welcome back. (laughs) It's March. It's Texas. That means the blue bonnets are out. They are definitely worth seeing in real life. One other fun announcement or fun thing to share at least is that a week from today, next Friday, Big Love and I, we're going to tour a conference venue. It's time. It's time to start planning for Emerge 2024. And it all starts with a tour and then dreaming big about what it's going to be like and who's going to be there and what's going to happen, all the good stuff. So you'll be hearing a lot about Emerge, at least the inside of Emerge, the things we learned, the things we failed at, the things that we succeeded at, who's said yes to being on the conference team. That we don't even know yet. Who's going to be on the conference team? It's very exciting. So that's Blue Bonnets. That's Emerge 2024. That's the good stuff going on in my world. Today's talk, it's a warm-up for a talk that I'm going to give next week in person. The title is The Little Things Matter, a foundation for intentional and ethical leadership. One of my favorite people asked, said, hey, would you consider doing this? Sure. Because That is in alignment with my intentions for 2023. Say yes to the people I love. And there's been enough real life experience, meaning raw, painful, occasionally joyful, to offer something to the listeners, at least to offer them an example of a life of perseverance and specifically perseverance for a greater good. There'll be some photos too. Sorry, those aren't here today, but there'll be some photos of young Captain George in Iraq. Big smile. All right, here we go. Time to be serious. Not really, but here we go. It's a joy to be with you today. And my hope is that you have chosen to be here because this is your path ahead, serving others as a leader. Here's how you'll know if you're in the right talk. You care about humans. Like you truly care. You hate seeing others get ahead because they're doing things that are unethical or harmful to others. And you hate seeing people suffer, especially from problems that can be easily solved. You're in the right place if you yearn to contribute to a better world, to help on an individual level, a local level, or an international level, because you've noticed there are a lot of problems in this world and life isn't fair, but you can do something about it. You're in the right place if you want to lay down at night with a quiet mind, a peaceful mind, a mind that feels content with the day and the contributions you've made. You're in the right place if you want the feeling that you've made the best decision, meaning a thoughtful and aligned decision regardless of the outcome. You can say that you did your best. Finally, you're in the right place if you are willing to bear the discomfort of learning and growing because that's what you absolutely have to do as a leader. That's how you earn the right to lead people. In our brief time together, we'll be touching on all of this. And we'll build a foundation for decision-making so that you make more intentional, more ethical decisions. Having a foundation for living and interacting with other humans in any capacity provides you with the ability to live a life that you're proud of. 
It offers you the opportunity to share your gifts, share your calling for the betterment of others. There's no agenda today. There are six offerings to help you create a foundation. Things for you to consider, to talk with people you care about, the people you trust, to pray about so that you lead with your best self. It matters and you matter. I'm Dr. Dina George. I've spent a lifetime being hungry for experience and depth in the human experience. What I'm most proud of is not giving up. And the two men I love deeply are in this room and they haven't given up on me. Tony Robbins says that success in anything is 80% psychology, which means mindset, how you think, and 20% strategy. So how we think is everything, which leads to our offerings today. Here's the first one. There's no magic. You will graduate from Texas A&M and not have all the answers. In fact, you will likely graduate with more questions than answers. I've had this magical thinking for many years. When I get there, I'm going to know everything. When I graduate from medical school, I'll know exactly how to be a doctor. When I graduate from residency, I'll know exactly how to take care of every living being because I'm family medicine and that's what we do. When I finish fellowship, I'll know exactly how to take care of every hospitalized patient. It was all magical thinking. Nobody knows everything. There is no way to prepare for every possible thing that can happen. In the course of working as a physician, I'll see patients, for example, severe foot infection. Next patient, pancreatitis. Next one, severe liver disease. Next one, heart failure. Next one, new seizure because of a brain tumor. Next one, dementia that's worsened. Next one, weak and delirious from an infection. Next one, found down, and that's all we know. And that's like one day. So having a framework to approach patient care gives me a place to start, even if I don't know what's going on or I don't have the answer. Because I can then focus and I can make a decision on the next step. So here's the framework that I use. What do I know? It's easy to get overwhelmed by what I don't know, but that's not where I want my mind to go. I want to stay focused. What do we know? Found out. Okay. Do we have a name? Do we have any medical records? And this only gets a few moments. We don't focus there. If we have it, great. If we don't have it, great. I then move on. What do I see? Are they intubated? Are they on life support? Are they in distress? What do their vital signs look like? What do I hear? What do I hear when I put a stethoscope on their chest? What do I feel on exam? And now I go to, what do the labs show me? What do the x-rays show me? What do the CAT scans show me? So that I can make a problem list. What is happening right now for this person? So here's the first piece of the foundation or the framework. You will never know everything and you'll never be prepared for everything. So focus on what you do know and what you can easily find out and what you see and hear and then make a list of the problems that are happening right now. The second foundation piece, put those problems in order by severity. The most important one is number one, and you can only have one number one. There are no ties. (laughs) And then problem two, and you can only have one problem number two. So rank them in the order of importance, the order of severity. I deployed when I was in the army, I deployed to Iraq with the 86 combat support hospital, which is abbreviated as a cash. And when we showed up, this was fall of 2007, we overlapped with another cash for about a week so that they could share all the lessons that they had learned. 
the rules that they created for managing trauma, how they ran the clinic, and give us a foundational support so we didn't have to make up things from scratch. And here's how they approached trauma. One person was in charge, one, and it was the senior surgeon or the trauma surgeon. So they are deciding as casualties are moving in to the emergency section of the hospital we're in, they're deciding who's the highest acuity, who needs the most resources right now, to who's lower acuity. They're making that decision up front. And they're also deciding who's going to the operating room first. In the foundation, there's one doctor and one medic per patient. And that's the minimum. Some patients had more because they had more needs. So one doctor, one medic, one patient. Next is every patient had a trauma packet. That's where documentation occurred at the bedside. The medic had two things they had to immediately do, draw blood, take vital signs. And our radiology techs would come by every trauma patient received a chest x-ray and pelvic x-ray. And they started with the highest acuity, the most injured. The senior surgeon, after everyone is triaged, walks around to find out how stable the patient is, what they need, like what they need in this moment, and then what they need probably in the next 12 hours, and then organizes that with the resources we have available. Here are the lessons. Focus on the patient in front of you. It is intentional. One doctor, one medic, one patient. So you're not looking around getting freaked out by all the other patients in the room and the needs they have. Learn what you can. Make sure the simple things are done. X-rays, blood, vital signs, and clearly communicate the problems and the immediate needs as well as any changes that occur in real time. Notice the framework. Notice the foundation to help reduce overwhelm to communicate clearly, and to stay focused on what's important. In fact, stay focused on the only thing that matters in this moment, this patient in front of me. Which takes us to offering number two, values. What are yours? And please don't say everything. Because when we value everything, we value nothing. Because some values compete with each other, and some contradict each other. So challenge yourself to choose five, your top five Not the five that your parents want for you. Not the five that your teachers tell you you should have. Not the five that someone told you to live by. But the five that define your life right now. And then challenge yourself to narrow it down to three. The three values that you default to every single day. The ones that define your life and clarify all of your decisions. So these are the values that are going to shape your decision when you're deciding super important things like who to work for who to work with, the friends to stay connected to, the ones that lift you up and the relationships to move on from because they're pulling you down or pulling you away. And remember your values, they must be consistent with every single commitment you make, every oath you take. Do not violate your values. And know this, your values can be aspirational. Like the person you want to be, the work, the person you're working to be consistently, it's okay. It's okay if you're not 100% on them. Here are mine today. First, God is leading. Second, it has to be meaningful and with purpose, or I have to find the meaning and find the purpose. Third, joyful heart. You know, for years, Craig, my husband, he asked me, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for your birthday? Peace. I want peace. Because my brain, my mind, was anything but peaceful. You'll notice that peace is not on those top three values. And it's because peace for me 
is the result of living by God's lead, finding meaning and purpose in all that I do, and maintaining a joyful heart. Even when it feels like the sky is falling and there's chaos and there's urgent or emergent things going on, when I live by those values, it offers me peace. So those three values, they determine what I say yes to and no to. They determine how I show up and contribute. They set the standard for my behavior. And they also set the rating scheme. How did I live up to that? What did I say yes to? Is it in alignment? The value of values is they will guide the way for you, especially during unexpected ethical challenges. So let's say you're an intern. That means you graduated medical school, you're in your first year of residency, and somebody casually says, hey, can you refill this medication? I've been spending so much time at work, I haven't been able to see my doc. Or let's say a fellow resident says, I fell down the stairs, I really hurt myself, nothing's broken, but man, it hurts and I'm not sleeping. Can you write me a a prescription for pain medicines for just a few days? Or let's say a soldier comes in. Hey, my fiance is pregnant and having some big problems. She's not going to have any military health care. She can't be seen here until we're married, but can you see her? Can you just fit her in? We're so worried. We're worried something's happening to the baby. It's all compelling, right? These are humans and they're suffering. And you can imagine that the person making the request, they're well-intentioned. Like they're not out to ruin my soul. They're not out to risk my license. They're asking based on a need. And values will guide the response. So values are the reminder, hey, is this going to risk my license or violate my institution's policies or threaten my standing in residency? Or is this something that even though I know it's wrong, I feel compelled to say yes to? Because if any of that is true, God isn't leading and that violates my first value. And here's what I know. I can love people and say no. I can love people and offer to brainstorm other avenues for appropriate care. I can love people and not be the answer to what they want. Let's go back to the benefit of a framework. Reduce overwhelm. Communicate clearly. Stay focused on what matters in this moment. And holding yourself to your values. Knowing what you will do, what you can't do, what you can do, what you won't do. That's how you make intentional and ethical decisions. So here's our framework so far. You can't know everything, so focus on what you do know, what you can easily find out, what you see, and what you hear. Create a problem list and order it by what's most important. Know your values and consider them non-negotiable. Which leads us to offering number three. Know who you serve. During my time on a deployment, I served God, the U.S. Army, humanity, because I'm a physician. I took the Hippocratic Oath. I serve all people. The 86th Combat Support Hospital, soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, coalition forces, contractors, contractor employees, many who were from third world countries and they had no medical care, anyone that the U.S. government offered medical support to, like Iraqi government officials, Individuals that were considered important to the Iraqi government or the U.S. government, you name it. And finally, I served whoever's in my exam room. Like if they got through, we're taking care of them. 
So it's not only know who you serve, but just like our problem list, have an order for it. My values make number one easy. So number two, that's the men and women wearing the U.S. military uniform, our men and women. So my allegiance, my priority, my goal, get them home alive. We heard so often soldiers say, the only reason I'm doing what I do is because I know you're here and you is the combat support hospital. They trusted that we would take care of them. And the reason to have clarity on who I serve is because we would get mass casualties and it would be people. Some soldiers, some civilians, some people, we didn't know where they came from or who, they, or who they were. So who do we serve? We serve the U.S. military personnel first. And this is my opinion. I don't know what Army Doctrine says or Department of Defense Doctrine says. This is my opinion. We serve U.S. military personnel first. That is the reason we are here. That is the mission. We get our men and women home alive. And there is no compromise. There were many things that, that the men and women who were in uniform at the cast did not agree on, but what we all agreed on is these are our people and we are getting them home. We are doing everything possible. So U.S. military personnel first, that was the mission. I wasn't the one making the decision on who goes to surgery first. Remember, I'm family medicine. That's the, the general surgeon or senior surgeon. What I witnessed is that there was never a chance taken with the lives of our men and women in uniform. If they were absolutely stable, then a higher acuity trauma patient would go to the OR first. But if anything changed, which it can in a trauma patient, that plan was amended. We took no chances. And it's tough, right? Because there are humans suffering. We see this. We see them suffering. And we know not everyone can be served at the same time or the same intensity. There's a finite number of resources. There was a finite number of operating rooms and surgeons and orthopedic surgeons. So we had to know who we serve and why we're there. And here's a real situation that occurred. A pregnant local woman came into the cash one night with contractions. And the cash, we had OBGYNs who came in for a few months at a time. They rotated with us. And this is what they do. They deliver babies. So through an interpreter, the woman was offered transportation to get to the end of the green zone and ideally beyond to reach an Iraqi hospital or to immediately go to C-section. Because who do we serve? At all times, we needed to be ready for the next casualty or the next mass casualty. And spending hours with many personnel tied up for labor and delivery wasn't an option. An hour, probably less, was needed to do a C-section to help this woman, that was considered acceptable, like an acceptable use of resources. But these are tough decisions. Having clarity on who we serve, it added some ease to a difficult decision. First baby by C-section, that's tough because that can affect future pregnancies and future deliveries. As a benefit though, she was in a protected space and she would receive the US standard of care. There was no compromise on the care we provided. And we had all the equipment to support her and her new baby after the surgery. So creating peace with difficult decisions in the midst of uncertainty, that's what we're talking about. That's why the framework is essential. Do note that the patient was given an option. Those options were based on knowing who we serve and what our mission was. Knowing we could help, but we could only help under these conditions. And then she got to decide. Which leads to offering number four. People will have opinions. 
and some will be upset. There were soldiers upset with the decision to take that patient to C-section. It's unfair. We should do more because look at how much this country has been through. This is wrong, they would say. It's tough. I hear you. And know this, you will make decisions that upset people. It will upset people you care about, upset people who employ you, upset people who look up to you, upset your parents. But know this, peace is an internal state and it's created through knowing and living your values and knowing who you serve. Early on in COVID, I took care of a patient, someone older, some chronic health problems like diabetes, high blood pressure, and they developed a severe case of COVID pneumonia. Like the pneumonia was throughout their lungs and it required high, high flow oxygen. So you know, like in the movies, when somebody wears oxygen, it's this tiny thing that goes in their nose. It delivers maybe two up to six liters of oxygen per minute. High flow oxygen, it's this large tube. It takes up the whole nostril on each side and it's pumping 40 to 60 liters per minute. So the day before, the hospitalist documented a conversation with the patient's medical power of attorney. And that medical power of attorney declared this patient is do not resuscitate. So if they get worse, no breathing tubes, no machines, no intubation, it's keep them comfortable and expect that their life will pass. And I walk in the next day and the first thing the nurse says, the patient wants to be full code. Hmm, that's interesting. I read the note from the day before. I refresh, who do I serve? What are the values that lead my life? And then go see the patient and ask questions. What do you understand about your lungs? What do you understand about pneumonia? What do you understand about how your body is doing right now and the medicines you're receiving? And they explain it well. They explained it with shortness of breath. They explained it feeling very weak and tired. And so I ask, what if things become more difficult? Like your breathing gets harder. Your body becomes tired. What kind of support do you want? And the patient said, do everything. What does that mean? Get me through this. I want to live. The patient just demonstrated capacity for decision-making. They understand what's happening. They understand the treatment options. And they made a decision that's in alignment with what they want or what they're expressing that they want. So that tells me that the medical power of attorney has no authority right now because the patient has capacity for decision-making. The medical power of attorney comes in when the patient no longer has capacity. Either they can't communicate or they're not demonstrating that they understand. So what the medical power of attorney wants is not something that I can abide by. It's what the patient wants that matters. So the code status was changed back to full. And the conversation with the medical power of attorney that followed afterwards, it didn't go well. They demanded that it go back to do not resuscitate. They insisted the patient would never want this. There were multiple times the patient in the past said that they would never want this. They were upset. They were threatening to take this public. They are yelling on the phone. Deep breath. Who do I serve? The patient in front of me. The one that demonstrates the ability to make a decision on the care that they want. And it's tough. Lots of compassion for the medical power of attorney. They're doing what they think is best. And they thought this was settled and now it's not. You know, sometimes decisions are made based on what's going to be the bigger worry that night. You know, like when you lay down and the flood of reviewing the day comes up. In this case, there were two competing worries. The worry that this will become a volcanic eruption for the hospital led by the medical power of attorney and the worry that the patient's autonomy will be ignored 
that it won't be respected, that they won't get a voice for their own care. So it makes it easy. The patient's autonomy must be respected because people have a right to change their mind. They have a right to decide what they want to experience and what they don't. They have a right to say they didn't know what it would be like when they said all those things years ago when their life was fine. But now that they're in this situation, they have a right to say, no, I want everything done. Which takes us to offering number five, walk with others. You can't do this alone ever. I couldn't manage that situation alone. I didn't want to. There are people that walk on the journey with us either by position, by election, or because they're amazing humans and they notice and they care. In the hospital, thankfully, there is always a nursing supervisor. They're the one who is overseeing what is happening in the hospital at any given moment. They're the first one to troubleshoot problems. They're the one to contact outside resources when we need them to arrange additional help. So my first call was to her. She kindly listened. She offered support. She had some ideas on the pathway ahead. And then the next call, and we're now Sunday night, pretty late. The next call is to the chief medical officer. So that the lead physician for the hospital to discuss the situation, developing a plan for the road ahead, and then placing a consult to our palliative care team so that we can get a second opinion. What did they see? What did they notice? Does the patient have capacity for decision-making? What does the patient want for their code status? And then a call back to the medical power of attorney to share who I've spoken with, what the plan ahead is, at least on my side, and to provide contact information to these individuals. Because who do I serve? God, the patient, the hospital. That's where the focus is. So there are always people who can help when we're willing to set aside our ego and focus on the problem and solutions. I may have handled it all wrong. That's the reason to involve others because when I do it early, there's time and additional expertise to make better decisions when better decisions are identified. There may be a lawsuit. So this is my thinking at the time. There may be a lawsuit. That's the reason to involve others early. And please know, it may sound like I was clear and steady, but this shook me. The conversation with the medical power of attorney, it was filled with insults. It was filled with threats. They were yelling. I'm going to take your license. You're going to be fired. You're going to be, we're going to report you to the medical board. We're going to take legal action. Those things are big. I'm one person. It's Sunday night. (laughs) So have people in your life to turn to that if nothing else, they will listen. They will remind you of who you are remind you of your character and help you think more clearly and know the people in your organization who can help before, during, and after something that shakes your core. You really can't do this alone. So save yourself time and emotion and don't even try. Just to close the loop on that story, the palliative care team came in. They agreed the patient has capacity. The patient wants to be full code. The chief medical officer was completely on board. The nursing supervisor supported me and was a link to speak with the medical power of attorney as well. As far as I know, that situation turned out as best as it could. But let's get back to our framework. So focus on what you do know. Remember what you can easily find out, what you see and hear. Create a problem list and then put it in order by what's most important. Know your values and do not compromise. Know who you serve, the big picture and in this moment, and invite others to help you, especially those times when it doesn't feel good, those times that you're worried you're wrong. Bring others in and bring them in early. They will help. 
So finally, we are on offering number six. What's essential? The things you are least likely to do in a crisis or a time of high risk or when it feels like the world is so heavy, you are least likely to grant yourself these four things. Grace, kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. And it's what you need the most. Let's go over each one. The first is grace. This stuff is tough. The stuff we've even talked about today, it's tough. And in real time, it is tough. It doesn't seem clear in real time. In retrospect, it might. But in the moment, there's a lot of fog. There's emotion, human emotion. Yours, other people's. There's expectations that were destroyed. There are things that are happening that nobody wants. And you're the one that's leading the way. And what you most need is grace. Grace to say, I can do this. I'm here. I can figure this out. It's okay. The second is kindness. You know, as high achievers, we demand perfection, except we're human and perfection is impossible. So we can demand excellence. We can hold ourselves to that standard. We can do a great job. But the key is we've got to let it be enough. And we've got to be kind to ourselves. And we've got to let our work be enough. So kindness to say, I'm human. I've done my best. I can't and don't know everything. The third one's compassion. This stuff is tough. Sometimes we're fighting policies or restrictions. Sometimes we're bumping up against limitations. And sometimes we're fighting people who believe that not only we're wrong, but we must be removed. Compassion. I remind myself of this frequently. I'm one person. This stuff is difficult. I don't have a magic wand. I can't make everything right for everyone. And compassion to acknowledge that sometimes I feel alone. I feel lost. I don't know what to do. Having compassion for that. To remind myself, I'm human too. Even with a medical degree, I'm human. Even with a deployment, I'm human. I don't have all the answers. I'm one person. The fourth one is forgiveness. Forgiveness of yourself for being human. Forgiveness for making decisions that didn't work out or that there were consequences for, even if they were well thought out. Forgiveness of others so that you don't carry the hurt, the pain, the guilt, the shame. Forgiveness is meant to set you free. Forgiveness is for you. It's release from the pain of the past so that you can not only move on, but you can move on stronger. If you remember nothing else, remember this. Only you can give yourself grace, kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Other people will try to give it to you, but their words are simply empty words if you aren't already giving it to yourself. Leading others in an intentional and ethical way demands that we give and receive grace. We give and receive kindness. We give and receive compassion. We give and receive forgiveness. I've talked to many high achievers. Here's what they say. It's too easy to just let myself off the hook. Or, if I'm not hard on myself, I'm not going to get better. My response is, wait a second. Making peace with yourself is not letting yourself off the hook. It's honoring what it means to be human. We all fail. We all stumble. We all hurt others. We are all hurt by others. You will learn more. You will grow stronger when you give and receive grace, kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. So here's our framework. Focus on what you do know, what you can easily find out, what you see and hear. Create a problem list and order it by what's most important. There's only one number one. 
Know your values and don't allow room for compromise. Know who you serve in order. Some people will be upset. Make peace with it. Ask others to walk with you. Because others are not mind readers. Like for sure I thought people could read my mind, but it turns out they can't. I have to ask them to be involved. I have to ask them to walk with me. And finally, generously share with yourself. You probably won't, but at least give yourself some grace, kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. My friends, I have really enjoyed spending time with you. I have so much love for what you are embarking on, leading and serving people for the betterment of this world. May peace be with you on your journeys. And there you have it, friends. That's the talk. I think it's about 90% of the way there. Thank you for sharing this time with me. Thank you for listening. And you are welcome to send any feedback. Hello at georgemdcoaching.com. <laughs> I'm sending you so much love on your journeys. May peace be with you. Ciao.